listen to this portion of God's story. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, as in, just as in Christ God forgave you. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Connie. Um, Connie is another person in our community that has been to Rwanda many times, and so if you have questions about what Rwanda would be like and um, how it might be a fit for what God is calling you to, she's another person you should seek out after the service. Thank you, Connie. Um, if you've been with us over the past couple of months, uh, you know that we've been in this sermon series called Who Am I? And uh, the idea of this particular series is to help us to get in touch with our identity, our true identity in Christ, but also the identity as a church. What are we called to as a church? And what are the things that God wants us to know about ourselves so that we can really advance God's kingdom? And so far in this letter, uh, Paul has helped us to remember that we have been chosen. These are all aspects of our identity. We are chosen. We are predestined. We are adopted, appreciated, reconciled. We are heard. We are gifted. And uh, if you were here last week, you, you know that uh, we are made new. And Fred talked about this, and we had some testimonies that illustrated the transformation that takes place in people's lives. When we are gone from the old and transitioning into the new in Christ. And so today's message is really um, kind of an extension of that because what I want to focus on today is the topic of forgiveness. That we are forgiven and we are called to forgive. And the reason why I want to spend some time on this is because forgiveness, as Sarah alluded to in her testimony, can be very difficult for many of us. It can be very difficult, especially when we have endured some sort of abuse or pain. And who hasn't been hurt by the actions of another person? Uh, we can't make it through life without being hurt. The question then is, how do we handle that pain in a constructive way? Perhaps you had a parent that constantly criticized you. Or maybe you had a colleague that sabotaged a project that you were working on. And it, and it just made you feel betrayed by someone that you should have been able to trust. Maybe you had a partner that had an affair and left you wondering, how could this happen to me? Why would that person do that to me? Or maybe you had a traumatic experience 
where you've been physically or sexually or emotionally abused by someone that you trusted, maybe even someone in your own family. The very people that were put on this earth to protect you and care for you and raise you and love you. Almost all of us in this room have experienced something within that realm. We have all been hurt profoundly. So what do we do with that? When someone hurts us, the emotional pain that we experience often turns to anger. We become angry. And if we allow that anger to fester, and we don't have a constructive way of dealing with that anger, that anger then becomes bitterness. And bitterness is toxic. It's toxic. Dr. Stephen Diamond describes bitterness as a chronic, pervasive state of smoldering resentment and deservedly regards it as one of the most destructive and toxic of human emotions. Bitterness. Bitterness keeps us from forgiving. It keeps us from experiencing forgiveness, and it keeps us from extending forgiveness to those who have hurt us. What we do when we feel bitter is we hold people liable for their sins as we repeatedly ruminate over how we have been victimized. It's constantly running through our head. The incidents uh, completely run themselves over and over and over again in such a way that, that we just, it's almost as if we're reliving it. We're stepping into that moment over and over again. And we want that person to pay for what they've done. We want them to be held accountable. And we take personal responsibility for that. That's what bitterness does. The irony is that whenever we fall into the trap of bitterness and unforgiveness, we are the ones who pay the highest cost. We pay the highest cost. Our unwillingness to forgive actually is more hurtful to us than it is the perpetrator. We can be thinking about things that have happened to us years ago, and the perpetrator doesn't even remember who we are. And yet we're still mulling it over and over and over again. And it keeps us from being all that God intended us to be. That may be the greatest part of the damage that we take on through bitterness and unforgiveness. We can't experience the fullness of what God intended for us. So what is the cost of unforgiveness? Dr. Staniford, chief surgery, chief of surgery at the Cancer Centers of America, suggests that refusing to forgive makes people sick and it keeps them sick. It makes people sick and it keeps them way, that way. You see, unforgiveness, and this is what he says, creates an emotional storm of distress in which feelings of stress, anxiety, depression, insecurity, and fear surface within our lives. And when we ruminate on an offense, a snowball effect takes place. A snowball effect. This is what he's discovered in his research. Not only do we dwell on the current offense, 
but it unearths all sorts of past negative experiences that we ruminate on as well. All the negative experiences over our years. And over time, what happens is we become consumed by those negative and hurtful thoughts, and we're unable to get away from them. They begin to define who we are and even our personality. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you are someone like that. Now, of course, this impairs our judgment because we view the world through the lens of hurt. So we can't trust people. And every personal perceived offense or slight or perceived form of disrespect gets blown out of proportion. Have you ever found yourself in that situation where some minor slight, something that should have just been overlooked, just sets you off? It's because there is this compounded set of hurts that have led to that insignificant experience. And now it's like you're reliving all of it at once. Research has shown that there is a direct correlation, a direct correlation between unforgiveness and high blood pressure, weakened immune system, reduced sleep, chronic pain, and cardiovascular problems. A direct link. In fact, cancer has been linked back to unforgiveness and bitterness. And actually, they're experimenting with treatments having to do with forgiveness to treat cancer. If you are struggling with any of these symptoms, the first question that you should be asking yourself is, are you harboring bitterness? Are there people in your life that you are refusing to forgive? The bitterness that comes from unforgiveness spreads throughout our lives like a cancer. And it puts tremendous pressure on our relationships, the relationships that are most important to us. You see, it's hard to love when we're harboring hate in our hearts. It's hard to love when we're harboring hate in our hearts. Nelson Mandela, you know his story, you know the things that he went through, the injustices that he endured. He once said that hating someone, hating someone is equivalent to drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. That's pretty profound. And yet that's what bitterness is. That's what happens to us when we allow ourselves to to stay in this perpetual state of bitterness and unforgiveness. And in addition to the physical and relational challenges that come with unforgiveness, it also hinders us spiritually. Those struggling with unforgiveness often say that they feel spiritually stalled, dry, uh, unable to connect with God at a deep or intimate level. And so every aspect of their spiritual life is hindered, and a lot of that can be traced back to bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, obviously, this is not God's will for our lives. The whole purpose of Jesus coming into this world was to give us freedom from the chains of sin and death. He wants us to deal with injustices in a constructive way. Now, Paul tells us how to do this in the passage 
that was read today. In Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, when he tells, tells us to, to put off the old self and put on the new. What is he trying to tell us to do here? We're not being called to put off bitterness and to for, forgive because it's the right thing to do. If this is not a, a works-oriented challenge that we're being presented with. We're being asked to forgive and to put off bitterness because of who we are in Christ. It's an identity issue. He wants us to live who we are, to experience the fullness of Christ in our daily lives. So it's not about good works. It's about who you are in Christ. Being a Christian is recognizing that you are a child of God. You are part of God's family, that you are loved by God. And you are learning how deeply you are loved by God, and you are becoming more and more like him every day. That's the purpose of our lives in Christ. And Fred talked about this last week, being, becoming new, and we heard some of the transformational stories in people's lives and how God is moving them from places of deep darkness into light. Now, most people know that Jesus came into the world to forgive and that he taught his followers to forgive as well. Now, in verse 32 uh, from today's scripture reading, Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. So he's reminding us, you can tap into this forgiveness. You can enter into forgiveness because of the forgiveness that you have experienced personally. That's the key. Knowing how you yourself have been forgiven. Now, does this mean that we should never get angry? That we should never get angry? Absolutely not. Paul never says that we should never get angry. He says... In your anger, do not sin. So there's a big difference. What he's suggesting is we should be angry at times. And, and I know for many Christians, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow because we kind of grow up in this culture feeling as though we should never express our anger, that anger in itself is sinful. Now, I, I grew up in a, in a family that, and I don't know if it was family of origin or what, but but I felt that way growing up. And in my family, the way we dealt with anger is you suppress it. You don't ever show your frustration or anger toward your brothers or sisters or your mother or your father. If you get angry, you pretend that it doesn't happen. You, you, uh, you bottle it up. And nobody talks about it. And sometimes I remember sitting at the dinner table at times being just completely angry about something that transpired and we pretended at the dinner table that nothing had happened. And, and that is so toxic. And, and everyone knows that over time, if we bottle up anger, what happens? Eventually, there is an explosion, right? And then you feel guilty about the fact that you just exploded, okay? So you're guilty on the front end, you're guilty on the back end, you're just guilty. You're feeling guilty and you're feeling 
as though you don't have the character to live the life that God has called you to, and yet you're trying to aspire to a call that God never gave. That's a problem. You see, anger is necessary at times. You know, God got angry. God gets angry. And you know, the reason he gets angry is because he is holy. He is holy, and therefore a holy God cannot tolerate injustice. So when God sees or perceives evil, it makes him angry. It makes him angry. His anger burns at the sight of injustice and evil. And if we are to reflect Christ as believers, as followers of Jesus, we need to do the same, but we need to do it without sinning. We need to be angry, and yet we can't sin in our anger. This past week, I had the opportunity to go down to Dallas and connect with Keith Boyd, our our former pastor, and it was wonderful because I hadn't really seen him much since he left. And we were talking about a series that he's currently working on through the book of James. And as we were talking through this series, um, he told me that um, he was trying to find a way to define sin in a way that his congregation could understand and embrace. And I said, wow, well, what, what definition did you come up with? And he said that sin is anything that hurts God or hurts God's people. Anything that hurts God or hurts God's people. So we need to get angry about injustices the things that people or others have done to us that are wrong or hurtful. And we need, to do, we need to deal with that anger in a way that does not hurt God or the people that he loves. And, of course, he loves everyone. You see, anger sees injustice and addresses the problem. Bitterness holds the perpetrator liable. You see the difference? So we can be angry and address an issue without sinning, but we can't be bitter because bitterness is focusing on the person as the problem and not the issue. Sometimes people say, well, I will forgive, but I won't forget. I will forgive that person, but I will not forget. Have you ever said that? Most of us have said that. And whether you realize it or not, whether we we realize it or not, what we're actually saying is we are reserving the right to continue to pass judgment upon that person, and we really hope that they will get what they deserve at some point. That's what we're saying when we say, I will forgive, but I won't forget. And that essentially reveals the fact that we have not forgiven them. We have not forgiven them. Forgiving isn't simply choosing not to retaliate or to punish a person. What it is, it's it's getting to the point where you're actually hoping that they will be transformed and renewed. That they will experience the grace of God and be transformed in such a way that they would never do the things that they had done before. You're hoping and praying for that. That reveals a, a heart of forgiveness. 
But how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we forgive and forget? If you're finding it hard to forgive and forget, you need to ask God to help you. Because it's not something that you can do in your own strength. You need to commit in your own strength to releasing that person from your hook. And you have to, you have to ask God to help you to do that. And I know for me, uh, the only way that I've been able to do that is to trust that God is a judge, the perfect judge. And he holds all people accountable for everything that they've done in his time in the perfect way. It's his responsibility to administer justice and not ours. So while we let someone off of our hook, we know that God still has it covered. He's going to take care of that person. We can't change a person. Only God can change a person. Right? So we need to be praying for that. Now, at first, this may be really difficult because, as I said before, we have a tendency to take personal responsibility for making sure that that person is held accountable. They offended us, and so we will do everything in our power to make sure that they fully understand the error of their ways and that they receive due process, right? Again, that's God's responsibility and not ours. Only God can do that. But you may be, find yourself in the midst of attempting to let someone off of your hook. You may find yourself in a place where you can't shake the feelings of resentment toward that person. And that's very common. But what you have to remember is that God will never ask you to do something that you can't do without his help. So he's calling us to forgive, which means it's possible, but probably not in your strength. But it is possible in God's strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what the scripture tells us. He equips and empowers us to do the things that he has called us to do. So you are equipped and empowered to forgive, even if you don't feel like you're, you're able right now. Now, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, it says, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And unforgiveness is a stronghold. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to God. Which means when we're feeling feelings of resentment and bitterness, we can take those thoughts captive and give them to God. And say, God, I can't handle this in my own strength and in my own will. But you have the power to take these on for me and help me to move past this. And we may have to do that hundreds of times depending on what circumstance you found yourself in. He will help you to refuse to dwell on the hurt feelings or replay those incidents in your mind over and over again. And the reason why he wants to help you is not so much for the good of your perpetrator, but he wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. 
He wants you to experience healing. Now, the enemy, of course, wants to divide and conquer. And the enemy frequently uses our thought life to bring us down or to divide us from other people. You need to know that he wants more than anything to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your health. In fact, he wants to take your very life. And what better way to start that process than making you a bitter, angry, isolated person that nobody wants to be around? God wants to free you from that. Now, ultimately, forgiveness comes through a personal encounter with God. We receive forgiveness through a personal encounter with God, and we give forgiveness through our personal encounter with God. And here's the thing. If you have received Jesus as your personal Savior, you're forgiven for everything that you've ever done. And you are already forgiven for all the things that you're going to do, which means Christ has paid for it all so that you could be free. And it doesn't cost you anything. All you need to do is receive his free sacrifice. But it cost him everything. It cost him everything, but he felt like it was worth it. He knew it was worth it because he could not stand going into eternity without you having the opportunity to be there with him. That's how much he cares for you. He wanted you to enjoy the fellowship that is accessible to him now, here and now, regardless of what you've experienced, and he wants you to be with him in heaven for eternity. Now sit with this for a moment. Everything that you have ever done that has been hurtful or wrong has been covered by the blood of Jesus. You do not have to have any inkling or iota of guilt because you are completely washed clean. You are free. You are made whole in Christ. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now available to you. That same power, that's what scripture tells us. This should be a life-changing experience because it enables us, it tells us how we are able to replace the old, everything that is broken, everything that is unjust, with the new, everything that is of God, of light, of beauty. And because of who you are in Christ, you can experience the fullness of his presence even when people are cruel to you. Even in the midst of persecution, you can transcend that experience because you are loved by the creator of the universe. That's kingdom living. Now, earlier you heard Sarah share about her investment in Rwanda and how transformative that has been for her. Now, in addition to being an incredible place to serve and experience the presence of God, Rwanda has actually become a case study for forgiveness. It's become a case study for forgiveness because you may remember what happened in Rwanda, the genocide that took place in 1994. Now, I want to share a part of a story of of a woman that was in 
Rwanda at that time. Her name is Immaculate Ilabegiza. I have a hard time pronouncing her last name. But she was a survivor of the 1994 genocide where almost a million people were slaughtered over the course of 91 days. Almost a million. That's more than half of Manhattan. Can you imagine seeing that happen around you over the course of 90 days and recognizing that no one is coming to help you? No one's putting a stop to this. Now, Immaculate went on to write a book called Left to Tell, and I would certainly recommend this book to you if you want to understand the power of forgiveness. It speaks to the atrocity, but it also speaks to her inner transformation in the midst of that atrocity. She grew up surrounded by a family that she cherished. It was a kind of a middle or upper middle class family, and uh, she loved her parents. She loved her brothers and sisters. She It was a close-knit family. But her idyllic world was ripped apart as Rwanda descended into a bloody genocide. Her family was brutally murdered during the killing spree. And for 91 days, she and seven other women huddled silently together in a cramped bathroom of a local pastor while hundreds of machete-wielding killers hunted for them. They were hiding inside a toilet. And it was during those endless hours of unspeakable terror, knowing that in any moment they could be discovered, that the power of prayer eventually broke through. And suddenly she lost her fear of death. She talks about this in the book. And when she emerged from that toilet... Instead of harboring bitterness and anger and resentment, even at the sight of her parents who had been slaughtered, she chose to pursue those that had killed her family so that she could forgive them. That's pretty amazing. And her triumphant journey through the darkness and genocide will inspire anyone any one of us whose life has been touched by fear or suffering or loss or injustice or any form of abuse. And what I want you to take away today is that if God could give Immaculate the power to forgive given the circumstances that she endured, he can do the same for you and me. He can do the same for you and me. And if you go to Rwanda this next year, this next summer, you will discover that her story is not unique. God did something miraculous in Rwanda in the aftermath of the genocide. He inspired literally millions of people to embrace the idea of forgiveness instead of bitterness. And that entire country has experienced revival. It's incredible. Now, that doesn't mean that the hurt goes away or that you ignore the injustices. But by continuing to receive Christ's love in the place of others' hate, bitterness and unforgiveness are replaced 
with the freedom and joy that comes through forgiveness and the relationship that we have with Christ. And here's the thing. The degree that we recognize what Christ has done for us is the degree to which we can forgive. That's really the secret to forgiveness. In Matthew 18, Jesus illustrates this in a parable. You might remember the parable. In the parable, there's a man who owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, if you were wondering what that equivalent is, it's about 17 years' wages. It's a significant amount of money. It's, It's an amount of money that this man could never pay back. And in that day and time, if you owed a significant debt, actually, if you owed any kind of debt, and you could not repay that debt, the person that you owed money to could request that you be put in debtor's prison. So essentially, you would be put in prison, and the only way you could be set free is if someone you knew, a family member or a friend, paid your debt. And if they didn't, you would spend the rest of your life in prison until you died. This man has no way to pay back his debt. And the king talks with him about this debt that he owes. And the man says, I cannot repay you. I don't have the money. And the king shows compassion and he forgives the debt entirely. Can you imagine? He's completely forgiven of this debt. And then, I don't know when it happens. It might have been on its way home or a few days later. He runs into a man that owes him a little bit of money. Not much, just a little bit of money. And he grabs a hold of him and he says, you have to repay me. You owe me. And because that man can't repay his little debt, the first man throws him into debtor's prison. And when the king finds out about it, he's furious. And of course he should be. He calls the man in. And he throws him into debtor's prison for not showing the same kind of compassion that he had experienced from the king. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. He totally missed the point of forgiveness and the profound grace that he had received from the king. It didn't penetrate his heart. And so the purpose of this parable is to remind us that we shouldn't be like that man. We should remember the extent of what God has done for us to enable us to walk in freedom. And then have a willingness to extend that same kind of mercy and grace to people who have offended us or people who owe us for something because it's unlikely that it would be anything in comparison to the debt that has been paid on our behalf. If we can't forgive, all that means is that we are not in touch with the huge price that Jesus paid so that we could be forgiven. And we need to get in touch. We need to think about what Christ has done for us. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ changes us forever. And the old becomes new And we become free, enabling us to become all that God has intended for us.
So let's choose today that we will not be weighed down by bitterness or unforgiveness. If we're, if we're harboring any of that in our hearts, we choose today to give that to God. Give those thoughts captive to Christ. And remember the extent of God's grace for us. That a, a significant part of our identity is that we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for extending your grace to us. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, we were undeserving. We know that um, we continue to fall short of the glory of God. We know that all of us, to some degree or another, struggle with unforgiveness and bitterness toward others that have hurt us. And it's hard to let those things go. It's really hard. And there's a part of us that feels justified in holding on to those feelings. But your vision for our lives is that we would be free, set free so that we could live the abundant life, experience the fullness of what it is to be in Christ and to reflect you in the way that we treat others, to forgive as we have been forgiven. Lord, help us to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an opportunity to come to the table today and